All right, that's the Christmas story in Luke's gospel. Um, we'll be in Matthew's, we were in Matthew's gospel last night, and we'll be in Matthew's gospel this morning as we continue in the story. Um, but uh, now that we, st- there's actually new rules, there's different rules. I know what I can play on video-wise in here with everybody in here, but now that we stream live, there's new rules. And so I know I can play Bible Project videos, and so, and I love what they do, but you get a lot of Bible Project videos now because I know we can stream them. Um, and thanks, Annika. You never disappoint. I give you a clean slate to say whatever you want. And it was, yeah, Cloud, that's good. And I love that you're doing my job for me and challenging Nolan to do even more. So that's awesome. Well, again, kids, I know we got kids in your kids. Thanks for joining the adults. I'll try to be a little briefer than normal. Um, last night, I knew when it was time to be done. It was like, across the sanctuary, I started to hear all these little, I was like, it's time to wrap it up, Jeff, so, um, but don't jump start it, okay, we'll just, we'll get there. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 2, and I just want to journey through, it's kind of, where if you were with us last night, we left off with Joseph naming this child Jesus. So the very next verse, we're going to get into the story of the Magi. I learned a lot this week about the Magi. If you want to Follow along on your phone or on the screen or in, the, in your Bible. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And you saw, actually, it'll be important even as we think about the star a little bit. That Bethlehem is about five miles from Jerusalem, five or six miles. He's born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. We'll talk a little bit about Herod in this story. Herod, if you ever read in history, Herod's crazy. Partly because other than Caesar, like Herod in Judea, Herod is on top. You saw the video and how Jesus is turning things upside down. That's a threat to people on top. And when you're on top, there's only one place to go. It's down. Herod doesn't want to go down. So he even kills his own family members. I mean, he's pretty atrocious in his defense of his power and his status. So he's reigning. And about this time, some wise men. Notice it just says, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Some wise men from the east. And most of us initially think, because we've seen Christmas cards or we've sung the song, we three kings from Orient are. We actually don't know how many there were. We say three because at the end of the story, three gifts are given. It could have been 20. It could have been 30, but the song doesn't work as well. We kings of indeterminate number from somewhere we don't know are, right? So... We get a little bit more specific with our story. But, but these, these magi, they're, they're like astrologers and astronomers and philosophers, and they're experts in medicine and religion, and they're, 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 they're wise. That's a good word for them. And here, this, as, as you stop and think about this story, especially for those of you very familiar with the biblical narrative and the biblical worldview, It is fascinating to find this story at the beginning of the New Testament because you've got these three or four or five, we'll just say three for the sake of being on the same page, but you've got these three men who have studied, literally they've studied, I mean they were were paid, kings would bring them in, they studied because, because they believed that the heavens could speak to them. Maybe they were heavenly beings up and they were speaking and so they would study the stars and kings would seek their counsel. What did the heavens say? Should I go to war or not? 
Should I advance or not? What should I do? And so they've studied the stars, and, and upon this study, they've determined that a king is being born in Judea. Isn't it fast? I mean, if you read through the Bible, uh, the Bible doesn't instruct that, folks. <laughs> the Bible says to study the Bible, not study the stars. And we'll even talk about that, even how Matthew works this into the story. But, but, it, but it's interesting that these three men... Maybe they're wrestling with these deep questions that all of humanity wrestles with at some point. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the point? What's life all about? How, how can I experience more of what it means to live and flourish? They're wrestling with these questions, and the stars literally guide them to this king. And, and we'll talk about this, but you have pagan Gentiles who travel, I mean, it's probably Iran. Persia, probably modern-day Iran, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but, but probably 800 to 1,000 miles to come see this. You know what that made me think of? Any of you remember that song by the Proclaimers? I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more. You know that song? The Magi walked 500 miles and 500 more just to see this baby. I mean, that's what they did, just to see this baby. All right, so they arrive in Jerusalem. That's about, I mean, again, if you're reading the stars, I mean, I told you Jerusalem and Bethlehem are about five miles away, so I don't know how precise you can be with stars. But they arrive in Jerusalem, the capital. The baby's born in Judea. That's what the stars say to them. So they, they arrive in Jerusalem, and it says King Herod is deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting, and notice this detail. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? The leading, the leading teachers and priests in Jerusalem. And they don't even have to think about it. I mean, they know what the scriptures say. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what Micah wrote, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It says, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. That's a lie if you know anything about Herod. That's not what he wanted to do, as you'll find out as you keep reading in Matthew's gospel. But I think this is kind of cool, because you've got these pagan Gentiles who have been led by their study of the stars to find this king and yet even as Matthew is telling the story, you and I see that we still kind of need the scriptures to find Jesus, don't we? They can get as far as Jerusalem, but they don't know to go all the way to Bethlehem. So the scriptures still, and even today, right, the scriptures still play a role for you and I in encountering the living word, Jesus. I hope they play a role in your life on some level as you seek for your true king, and the other thing, and this is really a sermon for another day, but I just want to point it out because it's interesting to me that you have these, and I think it's part of why Matthew's telling the story and what Jesus is actually going to come and do because he's not just going to be the king of Israel, he's going to be the king of the whole world, king of kings and lord of lords. You have these Gentile wise men who have come to worship the king. You have the, the leading teachers and priests who know all the right answers in their heads, but they have no desire to go five miles to see this king for themselves. It actually really does introduce this tension. It's kind of what was in the video of the world being flipped upside down. 
and those on the top wanting to keep the world the way it is. And you're going to find this tension if you keep reading. Again, I encourage you, if you haven't read through the Gospel of Matthew for a while, I mean, just maybe read like four chapters a day before this year is done. Get to know Jesus again. Let Matthew drive you into the presence of Jesus. Let him help you find what you're ultimately looking for. (laughs) Don't be five miles away from the king and just not go. Go meet your king. All right, well, verse 9, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And you can kind of, I mean, it is, you read these words, and, you know, I can think of cartoons I've watched or Christmas cards. It seems like the star is always like three feet ahead of the, the camel, right? It's like a carrot. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, really, Matthew's super ambiguous because I don't think that's the point for him. He's not in here trying to explain to you exactly what the star was doing. But for whatever, however you want to understand this, the star did lead them here to Bethlehem. Matthew says it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Actually, I mean, people have like looked back. There was, I mean, we don't know. I mean, Matthew just doesn't take the time. But there was some kind of conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. Maybe that, I don't know. We don't know exactly. Again, and Matthew doesn't seem to think you need to know. But But these guys were led. They saw the star. They were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And here you go. These are the first Gentile worshipers of King Jesus from Iran. They worshiped him. They bowed down. And this is, again, why we think of three. They opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a second because they, they play an interesting role, I think, in the rest of Matthew chapter 2. And it says, and we'll try to end with this verse at the very end in just a couple minutes, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. If you keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, you'll see that Herod is going to do some monstrous things because he feels threatened and he's going to I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's like the slaughter of the innocents. It's what it's called sometimes. And estimates of somewhere between 25 and 50 young boys are going to be, be really murdered by her. I mean, it's kind of this crazy story right at the beginning. But if you were with us last night, we talked a little bit about how, I know for some of us, and I talked to some of you this morning, it's a great celebrating day, and I, it just, just it's sunny and enjoy being together. But I also acknowledge that for some of us, this is a really hard Christmas. We sang a song last night about how there's different seasons, and sometimes you're in the season of winter. I just want to point out that if you read through Matthew 2 and you see all that's going to happen, Mary and Joseph are going to imagine this. They have their, their first child, and they're going to get a, a, a warning from an angel to flee because his life is in danger. And so they're going to become refugees in Egypt. In fact, I think that's really, we know that they're poor based on the sacrifice they give in Luke's account. I actually think this gold, frankincense, and myrrh is what allows them to stay alive in exile in Egypt. (laughs) It's kind of interesting to think about that God provided for this family in that way. But how else do you, how else do you stay alive when you're a refugee? I think this gift is what funded their time in Egypt but they're going to experience, I mean, Jesus is born into the scene and what we learn. And for those of you in a difficult season this Christmas, I want you to hear this. 
Yes, Christmas is a time to celebrate that our King that we've longed for has come, but it also tells us right at the beginning that God has become subject to all of the same terrors and tragedies that you and I experience. I honestly think that's why Annika can stand before you with conviction and say, I feel alone, but I feel closer to Jesus than maybe I ever have. Because Emmanuel, God is with us even in our sufferings, even when we're alone. He's there. And so it's kind of this crazy story, right? Just have two points that I want to make. I want to kind of explode this story for you and and tell you even. I mean, I think I think on one level, Matthew is trying to tell all of us that God will work in ways that you never thought he would. I mean, who would imagine that God would lead Gentile worshipers a thousand miles through the stars? But he does. (laughs) He does things that you may never expect. You have to never put God in a box. Expand your imagination. But I also want to kind of dip into the past, and I want to read from Isaiah chapter 60 in just a second. But before we do, we've been going through Genesis and talking about how do you read the Old Testament as a Christian now that we know what we know about God in the person of Jesus. And I can tell you that the earliest Christian theologians, even the authors of the New Testament, didn't read Isaiah. We read Isaiah often at Christmas time. They didn't read Isaiah to find out what was going to happen in the future. <laughs> they read Isaiah to discover what had already been accomplished by Jesus. The first Christian saw all of the promises of Israel's glorious future as fulfilled with the coming of Christ in the person of Jesus. So when Isaiah says Emmanuel and we say God with us, we say Jesus has come. He's not some figure from our past. I mean, he is because he's always been. He's from the past, but he's also our contemporary because we merge Christmas and Easter when we say Jesus Christ has risen and he has risen indeed, hallelujah. And so you and I can know this Jesus because he's alive. And of course, you know from Isaiah that the government will rest on his shoulders. Well, he is right now, Lord. That's why I said last night, Christmas is the end of fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is bringing his peaceable kingdom. And you and I are a big part of that as we learn the way of love from Jesus and we live as he teaches us to live, which we'll talk a lot more about in our next series on Deuteronomy. The first Christians reading Isaiah saw all of the promises of Israel's glorious future as prophecies fulfilled in Jesus, even the Gentiles being welcomed in. Let me read Isaiah 60. Isaiah saw a day. Now, Isaiah was a poet, and so he would write these poems, and he didn't know when they were going to happen. He just, the Spirit of God inspired them. He knew they would happen someday. Just read the first six verses, Isaiah 60. Arise, Jerusalem, and just, just listen. I, 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 I'm convinced that this is, in, this is in Matthew's mind as he's crafting the story about the Magi because it's being fulfilled in his day. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. You can almost imagine a star as you read that. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you, and all nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. The nations are going to come 
to Jerusalem, to Israel, to Bethlehem. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. It's the end of the exile. We've been exiled in our sin. We've been exiled into death. Well, this is the end of the exile. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters shall be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For, and I think this is in Matthew's mind, merchants from around the world will come to you. And they will bring you the wealth of many lands. The nations will bring their wealth to you. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you. And the people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. (laughs) That's this cool picture, and it's daring. It's daring. Isaiah believes a day when when all of the Gentiles are going to come in the fulfillment of all these promises. What will happen? And Matthew is saying, I mean, he's quoting Isaiah so much in his gospel, that day has come. Don't you see the Gentiles are bringing their wealth because this is the king. Jesus is everything we've been longing for, everything we've been needing. He's the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. And now life is available to us. He's our savior and our Lord and our king. He is the new Jerusalem. And Matthew tells the story because he sees the beginning of this unfolding. Now, we're in estimates here, but, but I want you to think about this. Matthew, probably in Matthew's day, there's probably about 10,000 Christians alive. Maybe 5,000 Jewish Christians and 5,000 Gentiles. And Matthew is believing Isaiah and this prophecy of the Holy Spirit. And he's looking forward. There's going to be a day when, when the whole world has people who know Jesus. We could talk about that, but even let's just talk about if, if these three or 20 or whatever, let's just say three, are from Iran. Latest estimates that I heard, and, and it's kind of secretive because it's Iran, but there's a revival happening in Iran. Last I heard, there's a half a million Christians in Iran. Now, you might not know that publicly for all kinds of reasons. But that's just Iran. Now think about the, just Matthew dares to dream with Isaiah and believe there's going to be a day when people all over the world are coming to worship Jesus. Paul gets excited about this. What does Paul say in Ephesians 3? When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan. Don't you love it when there's a mystery? Don't you want to know the plan? As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this mysterious plan regarding Jesus Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Matthew began to help the world see this. This is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Which I'm a Gentile. It's good news for me. (laughs) Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have given the privilege of serving him I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Paul says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about what? The endless treasures 
available to them in Christ. I mean, it's, it's Christmas morning. It won't be hard for some of you to imagine, like, whether it's just under the tree, there's so many gifts that they just keep malt. Every time you touch one, two more appear. Every time you, that's the endless treasures in Christ. Every, one, every time you receive one gift from Jesus, four more appear. Every step you take with him and for him, as you surrender more and more of your life to him, you just open your life to all of the treasures, the blessings that God wants to give you. It's one of the things we've talked about in the last month. You and I are so prideful sometimes, we're just, we won't receive the gift God wants to give. We always try to seize it or grasp it on our own terms. God just wants to give us these endless treasures in Christ. That's why he's done all he's done for us. Um, this mysterious plan that, uh, where did I, I lost my, oh, here we go, verse 9. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And then, church, I just wanted to read verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his plan that he carried out in the Lord Jesus. So you've got this little story of these wise men bringing these gifts, but Matthew is telling it to ignite our perception that the whole world is being welcomed into the family of God. And the last thing I'll say, and then I'll pray. But I love how um, I love how this story wraps up. I think it's intentional. Matthew says that these wise men return home by a different way. Right? They're avoiding Herod. But they return home by, and if you get to know Jesus, if you've come to know Jesus, you know that he changes you. And you're never the same. And I was thinking, you may feel this tension over the next few days as you're with family or with other people, maybe maybe for Christmas, maybe for New Year's. If you've been changed by, maybe you're with family, that maybe not everyone's been changed in the same ways that you've been changed by Jesus. There is a sense that there's this tension that, that as, you, as you encounter Jesus and are changed by Jesus, you feel more at home than you've ever felt before. Because he has everything you're looking for and everything you really need, he gives you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He brings about that fruit in your life as he transforms you and changes you. But there's also this tension that as you return home to your place of origin, whatever that might be, but maybe the rest of the world hasn't changed with you, and so that is some of why Maybe the rest of the world is getting an A for frat parties as well. <laughs> and that is some of why you feel like a stranger and an alien. And this is tension that you walk with as a Christian. And so this would be my pastoral reflection for you this week. I have a feeling that I, I, I think I'll feel both of those things in the next seven days. And I'm probably not alone. I will have moments where I feel seen and known by my Creator. And I will feel alive and at home and at peace. And I think I'll be in a few situations where I feel like a stranger and an alien. And what I want to ask you to do if you encounter those things is to pay attention to them. And as you with the Magi are seeking Jesus in your life, just pay attention. Just pay attention. Why? Why do I, what's going on right now that I feel alone or isolated? What's going on right now that I feel so full of life? 
and just let the Spirit of God, just the guiding star, lead you one step closer to that manger. And just see if you don't awaken even more to the endless treasures available to you and I in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, I think the kids are letting me know. So let's pray. You did great, kids. You did great. Let's pray and we'll sing Joy to the World as a, as a final celebration. God, this is what we ask right now. We ask that you would meet us. I mean, I know in this room we're going to have a variety of experiences. Some of us are going to laugh until it hurts. And some of us are going to empty boxes of tissues and tears. And maybe some of us will do both. But may we pay attention to you, Jesus, if life is about knowing you, if you are the treasure that we are, if we're all magi, just trying to follow as, as, as we are led to you. You know, life leads us to you, and then the scriptures are your revelation. They make it crystal clear who you are and what you've done. As we seek to find you, would you reveal yourself more and more to us? Would you just so personally and so creatively meet us where we are and open our eyes to who you are and who we are in you? Uh, Jesus, we say thank you for so much this morning. There is no one like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.